with the exception of Thanksgiving in the middle of all of it. Uh, we've been exploring a series of, um, actually a list, a classical Buddhist list, um, called the Five Faculties, sometimes called the Five Powers. And each week I've gone into some detail over each of these five. And we're on the fifth week of this particular uh, series. So I'll just quickly go through what you've missed if, you have, if you're just joining us now, um, or you were here but totally forget, because <laughs> that happens too, right? So we started with faith, um, that the uh, practice and the cultivation of faith is, is the first on this list of spiritual faculties. And faith is an interesting one. I think especially, um, you know, in, in uh, judo-Christian judo society where we think about faith in a certain way um, and um, people have a hard time even with that word or the concept of faith. But it's an essential part of the spiritual path and it's an essential piece in Buddhism. Now, the type of faith, though, um, might differ from, from the Buddhist tradition to other traditions. So in this tradition, there's not much um, value put on blind faith. So believing something just because someone in power says it's true. Um, in the tradition of the Buddha, we're asked to constantly question and to see for ourselves. And then through that, we begin to see and and gain great faith in this practice and in the path. Um, and so with the cultivation of faith in this way, the power of faith becomes a power against doubt. So faith has um, a way of uh, either leading us through our doubt um, or perhaps even preventing it from even arising. Um, and then from faith, we go to the next faculty, which is energy, uh, effort, virya in Pali. And virya is really important when it comes to the cultivation of our practice and the cultivation of our understanding. We need to have a healthy understanding of how to balance our effort. If we're over-efforting, we become tight. It becomes strained. Uh, we become agitated and aversive. If we are under-efforting, we get really lost. And we get spacey and kind of start um, losing touch with what are we actually doing here. Um, we experience this sometimes in our, in our practice. Uh, so we might come to a sit and the bell's rung and maybe a few instructions and we're there with the breath or the body for a moment and then all of a sudden the bell's rung and it's over. <laughs> Somehow we've missed 30 minutes because <laughs> we've been so, you know, out in our mind. Uh, and so finding our way back through a balance of energy is really important and so this is the balance I talked about through the guided practice this evening uh, of this real ease and uh, gentleness of, uh, I talked a lot about tenderness that week uh, when, we, when we think of energy and effort. But it's a tender effort. It's not, um, it doesn't have to be this um, kind of like, get over here, mind, and sit and stay. You know, we can get into this really tight, aggressive um, uh, way of being with our mind, thinking that that's the way that we're going to train it. But it's not very inviting for our mind to stay still when we're being so aggressive to it. So if we can be in this relationship, um, bringing this very tender effort, um, relaxed effort, with uh, the balance of interest and curiosity and what's actually going on right now? What is this that I'm noticing? What is this that I'm calling back pain? Or what is this that I call breath? Or what is this that I call agitated mind? 
and getting curious about it. And in that, energy arises. And an energy that doesn't arise from aversion, that kind of prickly energy, um, agitated energy. This is very different. It's a very smooth, um, collected uh, type of energy that, that focuses our effort in a much more balanced way. And so through a cultivation of effort, we, we are cultivating the power against apathy. Um, and so we talked about that not only in our sitting practice, our quiet internal practice, but how important that is right now at this point in time in the world and how we are in the world. If we become apathetic to all that's happening and not there to meet, um, all the destruction and the the pain and the hate that's there. If we can't find some balance to stay in contact with it, um, then we aren't actually part of a solution, and we are not part of the emerging collective um, awakening that's possible at this point in time. So then, the following week was on mindfulness. And I talked about mindfulness, uh, the direct translation of mindfulness as being um, to remember. Mindfulness means to remember. And what we're remembering perhaps is um, our humanness, remembering how to just be and come back to this very natural, uh, organic state of just being here without all of the um, distraction and uh, the clutter that we add to each moment, our expectations for it to be something other than it is, which just cause so much stress and um, uh, disconnect. And so through the cultivation of mindfulness, we gain the power against disconnect. We are not disconnected from this moment, and we're not disconnected from our true nature of who we really, truly are. And that is the power of mindfulness. And then from there, last week, we uh, explored concentration and how concentration uh, is there with mindfulness and effort and faith all together, uh, collecting the mind, allowing it to be stable with whatever is arising. You know, we're hoping that what arises is really pleasant and that we get to be with this wonderful mind state and a body that's calm and and settled, but that's not always so. And so how do we collect and be um, have a mind that can collect even when things are uncomfortable? Can we collect and stay steady with um, the dukkha or the suffering that arises within our experience? Um, mindfulness or concentration uh, allows us the power for that. It's a power against distraction. Uh, so that that collected mind is concentration. And then with that collected mind, being able to see clearly, no matter what's arising in the moment, we come to wisdom, the cultivation of wisdom. And the Buddhist tradition is said to be a wisdom tradition. It's one of many wisdom traditions uh, in the world. And in this particular tradition, we give a lot of value to the cultivation of, of wisdom, of insight, of, of knowledge, not just intellectual knowledge, although there's value to that in this tradition, but also a knowing, a deep, uh, almost somatic knowing of how things really are. And this is the Dharma. The Dharma is a word you'll hear often in the tradition um, and the translation of Dharma is uh, either truth or how things really are. It's kind of simple. We hear the word Dharma. <laughs> it sounds very grand. And it is. It's incredible when we are touched into how things really are. But it's also just how things really are. We add so many layers of confusion and our own uh, selfishness or greed or our own uh, aversiveness to the moment. And it's just extra. And it's confusing. We end up seeing through these layers, these lenses, um, that skew 
how things really are. And it's through practice and this cultivation uh, of, of mindfulness, of concentration, that we begin to see things more clearly. We get to see them more um, uh, in their truth. We get to see uh, our own authenticity, actually, coming more in touch with our own authenticity. You know, as we become uh, more cultivated in our practice, sometimes we get this idea of what that would look like. You know, the more and more free that we are in our mind, um, what that would look like. I know... uh, I remember maybe one of the first retreats that I sat at the very end, the teacher um, was taking us out of the silent retreat. Uh, We had all been there for, I think, 28 days. And and so we were very deep in this practice and everything was very quiet and still uh, for myself. And um, I was so excited to share this new me with the people I knew (laughs) who were waiting for me at home. Oh, they're going to be so impressed. (laughs) This new, you know, sensible and and very, I'll be so zen, you know, (laughs) going home. And uh, I had this whole idea around who I had just become through this, this silent retreat. And the teacher warned us. He said, you know, you're going to leave this retreat and although you've done some great cultivation, you haven't actually started talking yet. <laughs> and when you do, your personality, the neurotic mind, all of this, it's going to be it's going to be there when you get out. You know, it's just waiting at the gate. <laughs> and I really didn't believe him. <laughs> I thought, yeah, but I think I'm, you know, a little more evolved than what you're saying. And of course, I, you know, I started talking and I could see just my selfing come in and my personality coming through and just how disappointing that was. And it was years, many years later of practice realizing that, um, you know, uh, the, 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 we talked last week about the neurotic mind. It does change. It does change the mind. There is a change, a great transformation that happens uh, through this practice. Um, but things like, ultimately, your personality and who you are and your essence, that just becomes more, which is a really good thing. <laughs> you become more of your authentic self and more at ease with that. What a wonderful thing to be just so at ease with who you really are. I think most of us are fighting that battle in some way. Um, And so part of this as a wisdom tradition is actually doing that. Uh, Coming into contact or coming into a deep knowing of what that is to be you, to be in your humanness. So to um, cultivate wisdom, it means that it means a lot of different things when we talk about cultivating uh, wisdom in, uh, on the Buddhist path and the Buddhist tradition. And it also means um, uh, there's actually a variety of ways to cultivate uh, this wisdom. So there's the actual practice of meditation, but there's more than that. Um, uh, Oftentimes, um, traditionally, if you were to ordain as a a monk or a nun, you would start with a lot of study, Um, reading Pali texts and, and, you know, original scriptures and um, reading books by um, uh, esteemed uh, uh, practitioners and teachers uh, translators, having actually a, developing a knowledge, a learned knowledge of the tradition. And we don't always talk about the importance of that uh, here because we, we are so practice-based here um, in this particular tradition. But, but there is something very valuable about getting the roadmap. And we can get that roadmap through... Uh, intellectual knowledge 
by reading and listening to the Dharma when you listen to a Dharma talk. Some of that is just taking in some facts or some information. And um, this is very valuable. Uh, it's, not, it's not actually separate somehow from, from the path. Um, and so some of you are really comfortable with that and you like that kind of knowledge and, and having all those details and um, maybe choosing a particular topic and diving into it. Uh, I know I wasn't, I had read the suttas um, early on but didn't find them that interesting until I found someone who found them really interesting and then learned from her. And um, suddenly they came alive. And it, it's very fascinating to see and read what did the Buddha actually say um, about certain things and then apply that to my own practice and understanding. I also found it really interesting to learn about the historical period of the Buddha and just what was going on in all the different um, religious practices that were happening at the time, what was the social atmosphere at the time, that's important to know when we're reading what was actually taught. All of that influenced um, uh, what was said. And so this, this intellectual knowing is, is a good thing. It comes with also this curiosity of mind, this beginner's mind, that is very valuable in the process of developing wisdom. If we you know, assume that we know uh, and we have our own, we have our stance on a particular area, let's say, of the practice. And we're not open to learning from, from different points of views, different voices. Um, then we end up kind of stuck, uh, stuck in ourself uh, in a way that's not, not that helpful. There's nowhere to grow. There's, there's nowhere to transform from there. So having this beginner's mind, um, and this interest in learning uh, is very important. So we might start uh, in, in the head, in this cognitive uh, realm. And then from there, uh, go to, uh, you know, we get our roadmap, and then going to what I call um, uh, deep questioning. Uh, and this deep questioning, it's, it's kind of like what I was saying about faith. You know, we want to questioning everything as we uh, experience our own arisings of, of different sensations and mental um, um, experiences, but also just what's in the teachings, questioning what does that really mean? What does that mean for me? How does this actually integrate into my life and have meaning? Um, and so this deep questioning uh, is not a questioning that comes from uh, you know, this really aversive. There can be some, averse, some aversion in there, but it's at the heart of it, the spirit of it is not out of aversion. It's out of openness, of wanting to cultivate knowledge and understanding and wisdom. What is this all about? And so um, it's through that that um, we, can, we can begin to strengthen our ability to reflect to reflect on the teachings, reflect on what do I really know about this particular area? You know, maybe we choose a particular area that we either think we know a lot about or perhaps we are wanting to know more about, say, uh, you know, the Four Noble Truths or the Eightfold Path, these kind of quintessential teachings of the Buddha. Um, They are the roadmap oftentimes. Uh, for our practice. And so taking some time to reflect on, on each one, well, you know, for example, what does it mean um, uh, that uh, there's, there's dukkha? You know, what, is, what does he mean by that? There is suffering in the world. Um, that there's, there's causes. What are the causes of this dukkha for myself right now? Um, where do I see myself feeding that? Where do I see myself seeing it and actually being able to let go in some way of the clinging or the, the, the expectations, um, the wanting it to be some other way. Really exploring it for yourself, reflecting. 
There are a number of um, traditions in Buddhism where debate is really valued. And so there's, there are huge debates, and these are meant to strengthen one's understanding and wisdom, um, not just to be able to perform you know, what you know <laughs> about a particular subject um, but, or to show off in some way, but to be able to be in dialogue with someone else um, to see, you know, what do you really know? It's good to know what you know. It's also really good to know what you don't know. <laughs> so to use community um, to, to be engaged with other people at this point, um, to be in conversation about the practice, to see where, where are my blind spots? What do I not know that I don't know? You know where are the parts of me that are, are not quite developed? Um, I believe it's in the Zen tradition. There's um, a picture of uh, a bull coming through a window, uh, and it's supposed to represent, you know, um, uh, clarity and wisdom. But his tail is is hanging out the back. <laughs> it's not quite through, and you know that's kind of how we are. You know, even after a, a long time of cultivation or coming through some really deep experience that's changed us in some way, we still have a little tail somewhere, at least, if not like an entire leg <laughs> out that window where we just, we're blind. We're not really seeing clearly. And so we can use our, our sangha, our community, our friends, um, and also the people that, you know, Maybe we don't always consider them our community, people who um, uh, either think differently from us or um, we might even consider uh, our nemesis. You know, Those are really important people to be in dialogue with, to be in some kind of contact with. Uh, you know, of course, I'm thinking right now just like the political divide right now in our country and how do we, that's how we talk about it is this divide. And how do we understand our own um, uh, take in all of this confusion uh, if we aren't in dialogue with those who seem to really know where our shortcomings are? <laughs> We're really quick to point out theirs, right? But, you know, who's pointing out ours? We need those people. We need each other. Um, it doesn't have to be so divided in this way. And so here in, in practice, we can practice in this way um, through debate and through conversation. And so when we are cultivating in this way, um, we're, we are coming more out of the cognitive mind and now into a more cognitive still, but also embodied experience as we start to take what do I... What do I intellectually understand? How am I understanding this in my own experience? And so we start to bring this wisdom more down into the body. Um, And then we come to practice, into our meditation practice. And uh, it's here that um, we can take what we have learned. We can take these intellectual roadmaps. We can take some of the areas of reflection that we've done and we can sit. And what do we do in our meditation? You know, we, we sit here and we listen in some deep way. We listen with our mind. Um, it's a time of observation, of a collected mind that is simply observing what is happening in this moment. And so I think of this as a deep listening and that this is um, in this way of cultivating wisdom through deep, deep listening. We're no longer the one with all the answers. The answers are coming from something so much deeper than us or so much bigger than, than our, our small self. Um, I know that uh, in times where there can be, well, I'll just, uh, from personal experience, deep, you know, um, doubt. I just don't know. I don't know what to do next. Or 
um, confusion in my own life and I'll sit and hope for an answer. And what doesn't work is when I sit there and I try really hard to figure it out. Because what's figuring it out? The doubt and the confusion and probably a lot of restlessness and aversion and the wanting and that's the mind that's trying to figure it out. It's not wisdom that's trying to figure it out in those moments. That, that doing of figuring it out um, uh, so often in those moments is not very helpful. We end up spitting out in some way or just making some kind of quick decision to be done with it. Um, but maybe not taking the time to really know what to do. And so when it's wisdom that's working it out, you know, how do we access that? What do we do? And my guess is you've done this before, where you just stop your doing, stop figuring it out, and you just sit. I know I've gotten to that place where I'm just so exhausted by my mind that I'm just like, fine, (laughs) I give up. And it's often in that state of I just totally give up that all of a sudden there's space and something can emerge, some kind of clarity. I just, I'm really beating myself up about this. Maybe the issue is more about my self-judgment in this moment than me trying to decide whether to do A or B. Oh, it's really about that. Or... You know, oh, these are two really great options. Uh, it's, you know, either is fine. It's just a matter of, of doing it or something like that. You know, or be realizing I just don't know and that that's maybe okay in this moment. Maybe my discomfort is with just not knowing and not able to control what's happening in this moment. Oh, that's what this is about. But it's not until we stop and deeply listen that wisdom can arise. It doesn't arise from way up here. I'm not talking about like making your shopping list and figuring out what are you going to buy at the supermarket or, you know, planning your schedule or something like that. I'm talking about a, a spiritual questions of of what now, or what's happening right now, Uh, who am I right now, these kinds of questions. The, The intellect can have the roadmap to help us, to guide us, but it's something much deeper, even deeper than just the the body that we talked about in that reflection period of, of cultivating wisdom. It's even deeper than that somatic um, experience of, of cultivating wisdom. It's something that comes from something else that is the mystery of, of how things are. So I don't know where that is. It doesn't really matter. But I do know that to access it, we have to stop that doing And that's what we learn to do in our meditation practice. We're learning how to stop and be present and observe and be open and be tender to receive. It's really a practice of receiving. Maybe it's a practice of letting go to be able to receive. But we forget this. It's so easy to forget this and get spun into our usual patterns of doing. And so that's why it's a practice. We keep coming back to it because we forget. And what's interesting about that to me is what we're forgetting is this, uh, this natural way of being coming back now to the meaning of dharma, the way things are. The way things are uh, on a universal level, 
which includes each of us. You know, it's not that there's all this dharma out there and then there's us on our own little island trying to find dharma. <laughs> we, we behave that way, <laughs> especially in our spiritual practice. You know, We feel like we have to go to this particular temple and hear these particular teachings from that particular teacher. Or we need to go on this pilgrimage or we need to you know, do something to get there. And it's true that, you know, we enter a place like this and and maybe it sets us in a different mode that's important. Or we have a little statue of Guan Yin here on our altar at home and when we see her, it just reminds us of something. It reminds us how to come back to something different than how we were operating before. So these things are here for a reason. Dharma talks are given to inspire and to help guide. Um, Teachers are here to be guides. So there's value to all of it. And it's all right here. There's no going to anything. It's, It's just, it's right here. The way things really are is just always right here. It's just a matter of pulling back the layers of illusion, of all that confusion, to see, oh, right, this is, this is what's true, actually. Wisdom offers us the power against our own ignorance or delusion. It's what allows us either to see clearly through something that's catching us up or um, prevents the arising of uh, more confusion in the future. Mostly as we are cultivating, um, we see both. But mostly in the beginning, we're just catching ourselves over and over again, catching ourselves in that cycle of confusion, which can be really frustrating so sometimes we end up having a funny relationship with wisdom where we want wisdom, but we don't necessarily want to go through all that hard work <laughs> to get it. You know, <laughs> yeah, because we're Americans. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Or human. <laughs> it might just be a human thing. Yeah, and it is, it's a lot of work. It's it's takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to be with all those layers uh, that you know we'd rather not see. We spend a lot of time finding ways to not see it. A lot of distractions, um, a lot of coping mechanisms, and. Um, you know, we, we live in a society that's so disconnected from the way things really are. It's hard. I think it's really hard. I think we're living at a time that maybe it's harder to tap in to these truths, tap into this wisdom. We need these refuges, these places to be able to go and remember, oh, right. And then there's this, you know. I think we all come from lineages of wisdom traditions. I think on a very primal level, we're connected to this cultivation of, uh, of wisdom, but even more so this connection with the way things are. That's why this is a remembering practice. We're remembering that connection And I think there's certainly traditions that are still alive, whole cultures that are living perhaps in more connection with, um, with this truth. But even that right now um, is so threatened, so fragile. There's so much uh, power right now in force with the... Um, uh, the cultures of uh, that are really based in greed, hatred, and delusion. 
coming forward in colonialism and uh, dominance, hierarchy. Uh, we're fighting against a lot. We don't, we don't even know it. Some of us, it's just the water we swim in, we don't even know. We're, we're just in that space. You know, it's what we were raised in, perhaps. Uh, and so this practice of cultivating uh, wisdom and our connection back into this source of how things are, um, it's hard work. It's really challenging. But once you're tapped in, there's no other choice. There's a point in this practice where you see too much. There's no going back. Once you've got a taste of it and you see the mind and its layers of confusion, there's no going back. There's only uh, going forward. And I know a number of you here, and I know that you've already experienced that. And, um, you know, sometimes I know for myself, I think, God, ignorance is bliss. (laughs) There is something to that. But we've already, we've passed that point. (laughs) And so this cultivation of wisdom, we can have this funny relationship with it. And so we need to look at that and see if we can uh, have a more wholesome understanding of what's being offered through this cultivation of wisdom. What are we actually going for here? And so maybe um, what's helpful is to uh, look at what what is it that we're looking at when we talk about how things really are? What are these truths? And there's so many. There's so many universal truths. There are three that are classical in the Buddhist text, but um, these are three that will be found in... I'm, sh- I, I'm, I'm betting in, in some form in all wisdom traditions. And one is um, coming into the truth that all things change, the impermanence of things. Not just on a, on a, um, uh, a large scale, you know, things change like we're born, we live, and we die. That is a fact. Um, But even within a breath, we can see the coming and going, the birth and the death within a single breath, the birth of experience. I can feel, you know, the air coming through the back of my nose and then going down into my lungs and the expansion and just that whole process, how much is happening within that moment. And as I'm paying attention to that, I can hear different sounds happening. And none of that's repeated in my next breath. It's a completely different experience. Um, So we can start to really touch into this truth of the flux of life, that we're constantly looking for stability and constancy, and it doesn't exist in this relative world. It doesn't exist. Scientists will tell you this. Uh, They might know more than anyone it's not a molecular level. Things are constantly changing and moving and in flux. That is the true nature of things. That's the true nature of us as humans and everything around us. Uh, it's not solid. It's not solid. This ground that we're sitting on right now it feels really solid. That's the illusion that we live in. It's not solid. We don't fall through it because... There's a whole level of, of, uh, of positive and negative, what is it, ions and molecular structure, and I don't know. I'm a Buddhist teacher. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I know. Someone in here knows. It's, I, but it's not solid. Now, the fact that this isn't solid, maybe that doesn't matter too much. We don't have to get so wrapped up in in that, but to know that overall our experience, we're looking for this constantly constancy. We're looking for control, really. We're, we're desperate for control in a world that is constantly changing. Because we think that if we have control, everything will be okay. 
that everything will be happy and settled. But that's, uh, that's one of the biggest illusions that we're living through. And through that, uh, you know, we are, we're constantly um, at odds with ourself because we are viewing ourselves through the same lens as our experience. So through that same lens of wanting constancy and control, uh, we view ourself of solidity, that we're not recognizing that we too are part of nature and constantly changing. Our mind moments are constantly changing. Our needs are constantly changing. Um, Our bodies are constantly changing. And so when we are uh, stuck in this idea of constancy or that we should be a certain way or shouldn't be a certain way or that our bodies should be operating in a particular way and they're not, um, this is suffering. When we live in this illusion and believe it, this is suffering. It's the clinging to what isn't there. We're doing this constantly, clinging to something that isn't there. It's And so that's where we fall into these states of confusion and stuckness and doubt. Because we're trying to make sense of it all. Uh, but we're trying to make sense of it through that illusion. And it's when we stop and we listen deeply that we begin to understand that uh, we won't find um, happiness in this way. But there is happiness. <laughs> so the third truth is um, through the truth of dukkha, that this that believing and clinging in this way creates so much suffering within ourselves and within our world. You know, it's not just us. We don't live on individual islands. We're, we're so connected to everything, and especially in this way. And so when we are living through this illusion, it creates these ripple effects. You know, we, we um, support each other's illusion, <laughs> and that has led to a lot of destruction. And so when we understand suffering in this way, we also can start to understand the opposite of suffering. Understanding that when we can relax and be at ease in change, in this uh, uh, constantly changing nature within ourself and within the world, when we can... Uh, be content with that truth that we aren't in that much control and we never will be. When we can breathe in that and stop fighting that, there's deep happiness and contentment that arises. Those of you who have touched into this, even just moments in your meditation, where there's just not a lot of doing. You're just there with whatever is arising. Eh, hindrances arise. It's not a big deal. The mind gets kind of jumpy here and there. It's not a big deal. This is just, this is what's happening right now. This is what's being known. And there can be this deep contentment. And so our contentment and happiness does not have to be dependent on our experiences. That's really important. Our contentment and happiness does not have to be dependent on our experiences. We take that out, our dependency on experience of ourself, of our life. You know, if we're expecting to stack up a certain number of quality experiences and keep that going so that we can be happy for the rest of our lives... How crazy is that? But that's what, you know, on some level, that's what we're really trying to do. That's what we're doing. We just don't even know that we're doing it a lot of the time. 
So we're here. We come and we sit and we practice and we touch into this when we do that. Even if the practice feels like crap, like you're just, your mind is all over the place, the body just wants to get up and run out the door, it's okay. It's still working. It's working in a really important way. You're becoming more and more familiar with the illusion. You're getting more and more comfortable or you're working towards being comfortable with all that dissonance. And, uh, uh, you know, sometimes I think of the word dukkha, um, of uh, suffering as friction. We're in this, this friction against what really is happening or who we really are. And when we're in that kind of relationship with life, um, there's no settling. There's no real happiness there. And so when we can come out of that and come into this place of ease, um, it's such a relief. And we can touch into that. We're training our minds and our hearts to touch into that more and more and more, to trust it. We build faith around it that this is possible. It's possible for each of us. It's one of the beauties of the wisdom traditions is that it doesn't, it's not dependent on some hierarchical um, structure where there are those who have the wisdom and those who come to hopefully be in the presence of the person or people with the wisdom. <laughs> A wisdom tradition, is, it spreads each of us. It's something we can all be part of. We already are. It's part of your birthright because you're part of how things really are. So I think I'll stop there so we can, um, if there's any questions or any comments, we can take time for that uh, before we dedicate the merit. And we have a a mic here that if you are going to share, if you talk into the mic, it just helps everyone be able to hear well And then also it goes on the recording for those who are listening um, remotely. Thank you. Any questions or, or comments? Yes, right here. How would you differentiate a typical thought with a thought that comes from wisdom? That's a great question. Sometimes it's not so clear. Sometimes it's really clear (laughs) when a thought comes in and it's not very wise. Um, But other times it can be kind of tricky. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes it can be really tricky. I find that um, if it's not in alignment with these these truths, like if there is some... um, uh, major selfing that's going on related to it. Uh, if there's some some sense of that that control that's related to it. If the hindrances are involved, so um, uh, desire or wanting, uh, aversion, not wanting, restlessness, uh, sloth torpor, which is kind of that apathy um, or doubt. If those are involved. Forget it. Sometimes if I know that's going on, um, my partner and I have uh, have a, a system of communicating <laughs> where we'll say, I just, I can't believe any of my thoughts right now, so I need to run something by you. <laughs> you know, sometimes we just really can't believe. We don't know how to trust it. And that might be valid. I can't trust my mind. And so we have to find people that we trust, someone who's in that moment able to hold us in wisdom and say, yeah, no, I wouldn't trust that either. Or, you know, you're close, but, you know, have you thought about it in this way? Um, Is that helpful? Okay. Or is is there a particular one that you've been struggling with or it's just in general? Um, What you're saying in the talk about making decisions. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Oh, the mic. Sorry. Thanks. <laughs> so you were talking about making choices, and um, that is kind of where I'm at. Is it's uh, I'm at a blank slate, and um, there's definitely a lot going on in the mind about trying to figure out like what's the right choice. And I like the wisdom that you said that yes, actually a lot of these are good choices. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know exactly what's going on there, but you know it's definitely confused and uh, uh, has a strong desire to make the right choice. Yeah, yeah. and that will trip you up every time. <laughs> <laughs> it will, yeah. you know, because it is so involved in what does this mean about me, you know, and it is about you, right, on some level. But um, that belief system is. Uh, it's more about the small self, like this, you know, maybe insecure uh, self that we all have. Um, and you might not want to let him make that decision. <laughs> yeah. So if you have time to make the decision, uh, sometimes it's just helpful to t- give yourself time and explore all the options and... And then it might be at some point really clear, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, how about? I so appreciate your recommendation to study. Mm -hmm. Um, Intuitive knowledge is is a wonderful and amazing thing. Mm -hmm. But I don't want... Joe, the bartender, to have intuitive knowledge about my back surgery. Yeah. I want a back surgeon who right. has studied. <laughs> and the quality of, of having that basis of, of study, read the Sutta, read the interpreters, read the aggregators, read the works of other teachers yeah. uh, and other traditions within the broader. And then you will be informed in a way that when the intuition arises, you can probably trust it. But even then, I have found when I have a really great idea, it's often really good for me to say that idea out loud to somebody else, a trusted counselor, a good friend, mm-hmm. a teacher. Because usually it's okay. Okay. But sometimes, just in the speaking of it, I can see the ridiculousness. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, out loud is a better move than just, I got it, I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of, there's something about pacing in all of this. You know, it slows us down. We're not so compulsive and reactionary, you know. Sometimes we have to make a choice and we have to take action. You know, we don't have the luxury of time. Um, yeah, the study, all of this prepares us to hopefully um, do, the, you know, do the best that we can in those moments, right? Yeah, thanks. Okay, maybe one more and then we'll... Hi, everyone. Um, my question is that the mind can only absorb what the butt can endure. That's a saying. Say again? The mind can only fill up or unfill the, as much as the butt, the fanny. Uh-huh. And endure. Your butt. And, okay. Yeah, I'm having a terrible time. I'm not used to sitting yeah. for this period of time. So there's Let me, I'll just say it quickly. I'm not used to it. I'm slightly envious, which is not the point of all of you who can. Oh, um, I wouldn't go there. Well, <laughs> I, I'm just saying. It's not, but I'm, I'm wondering, I'm struggling with how I can be comfortable here. That's yeah. really the issue. Yeah, yeah. How to be comfortable when the body is not comfortable. Exactly right. Yeah. How many of you uh, struggle with this? Okay. <laughs> so, oh, phew. <laughs> yeah, actually, and I can put, I didn't put my hand up, but absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The, these bodies are, um, there's, there's actually so many teachings on how to just be in this practice in these bodies. Um, Um, We all have our own experience with our bodies, and they're all different. And but what ties them all together is they—they don't all work properly 
forever. <laughs> so, Can I say um, one, one other thing? Sure. I don't want to interrupt you. I'm just thinking that um, it's not good, healthy, for my body to stay in the same position. So yeah. I'm wondering, so what I'm going to, I mean, really just, I have two hip replacements. I'm going yeah. for a shoulder. Ah, I'm not in any pain, but it's not yeah. good for me to sit. Yeah. So if it's okay, then what I'll do is just get up and walk around. And that, yeah. That's the way I can solve part of it. Yeah, so there's a number of things. First of all, um, traditionally, there are four postures. So there's sitting, standing, laying down, and walking movement. Um, So all of those are seen to be postures, not only fit for meditation, but postures you can awaken in. So, you know, we we come and we sit. It's a little more organized. (laughs) We're all sitting than if we're all just kind of walking around. But it doesn't work for everybody. Um, Some of you might really benefit, whether it's body pain or just exhaustion, um, from standing up, you know, and then sitting back down when you need to sit back down. Um, it might be, uh, you know, during the meditation, um, just if you, for you, going into the hall and doing some walking meditation, sitting down in the, in, on a chair, either right at the door or there's a bench out there, making it work. I know a lot of um, people who have to lie down that uh, that laying down meditation is their only meditation. And um, uh, and that's just fine. Uh, in fact, there are s- stories of, at the time of the Buddha, his, his trusty attendant, Ananda, who, who wouldn't awaken until the Buddha died. He wanted to attend to the Buddha. He was so devoted. And then... Um, there was a point where he was needed to to recall. He had perfect memory recall, so he um, anything he heard, he was able verbatim to recall it back. Was his his power, and um, they needed him to fully develop, be fully cooked in order to um, uh, record and you know verbally his his teachings um, through the tradition. And so he tried, 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 and got really tense. And it wasn't until he finally laid down. And the story is, uh, from the way I can remember it, is it was the moment his head uh, touched down to the ground and he just was fully uh, on, on the floor that he suddenly woke up. So that moment of finally being able to relax. And some of us, that's needed, either um, because our body is in pain and that's just what we need to do, or even um, going through certain uh, mental states, you know, if we have really agitated minds, sometimes laying down is needed. Um, it just kind of depends. I know people who are going working through a lot of depression, or um, um, your, you know, loss. Uh, that laying down can be really helpful. Uh, just much more grounded. And support, feeling the support of the body fully on the ground can be really helpful. So there's lots of options. Uh, yeah. Thanks for asking the question. I was answering it to you, but it's a good one for us all. You know, we're all listening and learning from it. Okay. So um, I'm going to end there. We're at time. And we'll dedicate the merit. And so this time is... Um, a time where we recognize the the wholesomeness of coming together and practicing in this way. You know those ripple effects that I talked about uh, when we are we are operating out of that illusion, um, and that's what we end up putting out into the world and supporting. Um, when we practice in this way, we're putting a different kind of ripple effect out there. Um, it affects not just our own internal experience, but also our interactions and so affects the people we care about, the people in our lives, the people we work with or go to school with, um, uh, the people we interact with on a day-to-day. And then there seems to be a ripple effect that even goes beyond that in ways we don't even understand. And so in that spirit, we can dedicate uh, 
the, the merit, the wholesomeness of our practice cultivated here together to all beings everywhere. And in particular, um, these are beings who are on your hearts and minds this evening. To Kathy, with loving kindness and positive energy. Merit to Phil uh, Thurston, who is involved in a custody battle for his two sons. So we'll include his sons and his family in that too. Carol, um, who's working through depression and anxiety right now. And so to those beings and to all beings everywhere, may all beings have the opportunity to touch in to that true happiness and contentment in their lives. May all beings be safe from inner and outer harm. May all beings be healthy in their mind and in their body. May all beings be free. May we all be free. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.